the reason why I got involved with a lot of the revitalization projects mm. was um, uh, thanks to actually a friend I had who was living in Soma City, Soma's on the coastal area. And it was an area that was absolutely devastated by the tsunamis, tsunami waves. And um, he actually messaged me uh, less than a week after the tsunami waves came. And he basically asked me to come visit him and see him because he, he'd actually lost his home due to the tsunami. And he also had lost a lot of friends and his whole entire community was washed away. But he wanted me to come and see it and experience it. And the reason why he wanted me to come was he wanted the world to see what was happening in Fukushima. Welcome back. You're listening to The Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, I chatted with five of my former colleagues when I was working in Fukushima on the JET program between 2008 to 2014. Billy McMichael, who was living in Fukushima City, Jean Liu, who was in the northeastern part of Fukushima, in Shinchimachi. We also have Fane Marietta, who was also in the same region, living in Tomiokamachi, which is close to the nuclear power plant, John Aoyoung from Iwaki, and Justin M, who was living in the center of Fukushima Prefecture in Koryama City. They all shared their experiences from what happened on March 11, about 11 years ago now, and give an insider's perspective of their day to day life. Billy, yeah, thanks for yeah. making the time to speak today. It's nice to finally catch up with you after all these years. Yeah, it's been, it's been a few years. It's really good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice and also good to see you all on the Zoom chat.、Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Maybe just from background to the listeners that we have, is,、um, could you tell us about how did you end up in Fukushima? Where were you from? You know, how long have you been living there at the time? Well, I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada, so the West Coast of Canada. And、um, I've been living in Fukushima since 2007. It's hard to believe it. It just went like that. Did but, you、yeah. plan to live in Japan for like that long? or? Absolutely not. <laughs> I actually,、um, the, the reason why I came to Japan was、uh, just like you, I came on the JET program.、Mm-hmm. And.、Um, As it is for everyone, when you go on the JET program, you can't really, you can, you can make, you know, rec-、mm. you can make,、uh, I guess,、uh, suggestions on where you want to go or requests, but you can't really decide where you go. Right. And、um, I was selected to go to Fukushima. I had no idea where it was、mm-hmm. uh, when I was initially selected. And、um, I thought, you know, I might live there for about a year or so and then maybe find、yeah. a job in, in <laughs> Tokyo or go back to Canada.、Right. My wife re- really wanted to live in Canada. So、okay. uh, she, she, she made me promise that we'll go back in a few years. But, but we got here and、uh, we just fell in love with the place. It's、yeah. a beautiful area,、mm-hmm. really, really beautiful you know, landscapes, amazing food,、mm-hmm. but most of all, just amazing people, right? Right, right. And、uh, just we, we loved it so much there that we decided we want to start a family here. Yeah. And、um, we've been here since then. I was on the JET program for about three years、mm-hmm. as a CIR, coordinator for international relations.、Mm-hmm. And then in、uh, the fall, fall of 
I switched jobs, then I moved to my current position at Fukushima University. Mm, okay. Um, that's a very like good transition coming yeah, from the JET program into like yeah, corporate situ- well, yeah, office yeah, situation. Well, I, 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 when I was on the JET program, I got to be involved with so many you know, amazing mm. programs for educating local people about the world and nurturing, I guess, you know, those global skills and whatnot. And, and it was so much fun. Mm. And it, I realized it's something I want to do with the rest of my life, that I wanted to be involved in education. Yeah. And uh, so in 2010, I moved, I got a new position I, uh, at Fukushima University. Actually, my job was to start um, an international center there. Yeah, wow. They, they didn't even have an international center back in 2010. Wow. Uh, it wasn't the most international university, although right, um, right. It, it was a national university. It was very small. Mm-hmm. It still is. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't very uh, global to say. So uh, I got to start everything from scratch. Um, but then when the March 11 disasters happened in 2011, uh, my plans sort of changed a bit. Um, yeah. As you may understand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were suddenly thrust into the spotlight. And um, I also decided that I want to make the educational programs, not just about learning about the world, but also the world learning about Fukushima yeah, yeah. as well. Right. So yeah. I, I, been fortunate enough to be involved in those kind of recovery efforts and yeah, wanted, educational programs for that. I wanted to touch upon that too, because Sorry. when I knew, when I first met you, you were very yeah. keen on like assisting people like transition in their life in Japan and Fukushima. <laughs> um, there was this like, I guess a vibe or aura about you on education or just making sure people were getting the right sort of information. Um, so yeah, congratulations on that position um, shift. Yeah, thank you. And, um, I, and I believe you're doing like a great, great um, thing for that university and for Fukushima. I wanted to ask Billy that during mm-hmm. the earthquake, you know, we yeah. all experienced it 2011, March 11. Yeah. Um, you were involved in, I guess, lots of, um, I guess, volunteer work or recovery efforts. Could you give us um, a comment on what did, what did you notice from the people? Um, any attitudes or things that stuck out to you while you were going through, you know, the crisis yourself? Well, yeah, that that's that's a pretty big topic. I have a lot actually to say on that. Um, well, first and foremost, I think um, I. Some, something that really left a strong impression on me when the March 11 disasters happened were just really the, the, the amazing, I guess, the, the kindness, I guess, of the people here mm. and how they were all willing to put others, you know, before themselves, mm. even in a time of disaster. Because um, I, I say this because there was a, a specific incident that happened that I experienced on um, uh, March 12th, actually the day after after. the disasters that uh, really, really left a strong impression on me. And um, at the time I was with my, uh, my wife and uh, my child who was uh, two at the time. Mm. He's just turned 12. So he was just two at the time. (laughs) And uh, we were actually walking around Fukushima city looking Mm. for food Mm -hmm. because our apartment, although it wasn't really damaged, mm. uh, we lost electricity. We lost right, all yeah. water as well. Mm. And also our fridge got knocked down. So we didn't have any food mm-hmm. right, to eat. So we were walking around town looking for a supermarket mm-hmm. um, that was open. And uh, we couldn't really find any, like all the convenience stores mm. uh, were empty. There weren't, uh, all the supermarkets are closed except for one. Mm. And it was a, a local supermarket called Ichi. Uh-huh. And um, the building itself was looked 
half destroyed but mm. it, it was all uh, it was open because we saw the doors open right mm. so we we ran in mm. to that supermarket going oh my god this is, this is our, this our chance left. yeah this yeah is our chance right but then we actually realized we ran in we went into the the supermarket the wrong to the wrong entrance uh, uh, the employee's entrance is open in the back and we mm. thought since the building was half destroyed they were using that mm. as the entrance mm. and the minute we got into the supermarket we realized there was a huge lineup uh, in the other entrance to get in right mm. so we we, we unknowingly uh, cut the line i guess right uh, and skip in front mm. so we realized our mistake and we tried to go to the back of the line mm. so we went out the entrance and we tried to go to the back yeah. and the people at the front of the line and the people in the supermarket said no no you have a little kid right now with you you should go first and they let us go to the very beginning start of very front of the line wow that's so good it was amazing and then then we went in and we picked our food we picked what we wanted for the kid yeah. for a child and we tried to pay for it yeah. and they wouldn't they wouldn't take our money yeah they're like you know this is a time of need for everybody just uh come back and pay whenever right whenever things are back to normal again that's such that a just, good start it was, yeah. yeah it was such an amazing you know experience and it really reminded me why i loved fukushima so much that these people were in, in an extreme time of disaster like yeah. this willing to you know think about others a foreigner like me yeah and, and my family and you know care about us so much and and that that really reminded me why like i said why i love fukushima and um it also you know mm. made me i guess really upset i guess in a way that uh because fukushima at that time even with the western media it was being painted in a pretty negative right brush. i know a lot of people were saying you know people like it was like anarchy in fukushima and it was like a wasteland and right. it was like dystopic and you know it wasn't full of hope but here here there are all these people here who are still here who are all banding together as a community and, and caring for each other mm. and you know looking out for each other and making sure that we could get, get over this challenge right right so just... it really really made me want to you know uh i guess correct the mm. world and what what um what Fukushima was really about because yeah. that was the Fukushima I knew that was the right. Fukushima I loved right, right? and it, it was it was very different from the Fukushima that was being portrayed <laughs> yeah just before and, we go into this yeah. I wanted to Sorry. say that um <laughs> no 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 um like yeah Sorry. the kindness of people everyone's being so considerate it, it kind of makes you kind of forget that you're going through this crisis because yeah, yeah. these are like these kind distractions and it's like a breath of fresh air that everyone yeah. is just help, willing to help each other out even though they might not be in a better position themselves but you know they're mm -hmm. looking after you yeah um, no it was really really reassuring and and it wasn't just you know the 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 local people too it was also the jet community too mm -hmm. as well i was just amazed at how you know, everybody just came together. We were sharing resources, sharing mm -hmm. uh, information. Yeah. It, it really was uh, an incredible experience, I felt. Yeah, yeah. Going through, um, yeah, Billy, I wanted to um, go on to the point how you said that Western media was painting Fukushima mm -hmm. or Japan in a way that, you know, people like us, when we were living there at the time, it was different from what we were experiencing. Yeah. Could you maybe give a comment on, on what are the things that they could have done better? Um. Well, you know, the Western media, obviously, they. <laughs> mm. I, I've spoken to a few reporters, actually, who reported yeah. on some, I don't want to say them that nasty, incorrect, I guess, stories, yeah. uh, you know, very exaggerated stories. And they all said the same thing, right. they, that they didn't really have enough information, right? But they mm. had deadlines to meet and they needed to get their stories out. So they just had to go with what they had. So mm -hmm. it, it, in a way... Um, 
I guess the, the Japanese uh, government and maybe the local authorities were our fault there too. Maybe they could have done a better job mm-hmm. of getting information out there in English that was accessible to the right. to the world media. But um, obviously, I think a lot of the media they just wanted to go with this story that Fukushima was a uh, you know wasteland that it was a dystopic place. It was mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that they wanted to go with what sells and what gets clicks, I guess, right? And what, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way, and um, just sort of use Fukushima uh, for that. So, mm-hmm. I, I, but I found so many articles that just were flat out incorrect. I've, yeah. You don't know how many articles I found that claimed, you know, the the nuclear reactors were in Fukushima City, and right. that everybody was panicking, and that there wasn't a single person left here, and that, you know, I even read articles about radioactive bunnies, you know, oh, taking yeah. over villages and and yeah. yeah. Or the cows have gone radioactive and like all the milk is poisoned. <laughs> you still see that actually. Still see stories like that too. But yeah. yeah. But then Billy, you you know, because of your drive to make things, I guess, right or you know, have some balance in terms of what information is being seen outside of Japan, your involvement in the Fukushima University and in the international program has actually allowed um, international students to experience uh, Fukushima, the culture and life itself in Fukushima. Can yes. you tell us about some of the activities that you have there with the students that you bring in from these countries? And uh, where are they from? Well, we get, um, oh, the, your, I'll answer your last question first. We get uh, students coming from all over the world. Um, actually, no, sorry, I'll correct that. We've had, uh, sorry, I'll just rephrase it. We get students coming from our partner universities mm-hmm. in about nine different countries. Okay. Uh, we've had students from the US, from Canada. We get a lot of students from Europe, um, Scotland, mm-hmm. England, Ireland. Uh, we've had students coming from Germany, yeah. uh, from Slovenia, uh, from from uh, South Korea, from China, mm-hmm. really all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, we invite them over. There's a program that I do. It's called the Fukushima Ambassadors Program, yeah. where we invite them over for a two-week program. So it's a very short-term program. And uh, we usually have about 20 students come. Wow. And uh, they're joined by another 20 students from uh, Fukushima University. Mm. And we go in this big group, a bus full of students, <laughs> and we go around the prefecture learning about the past, the present, and the future challenges yeah. that Fukushima is facing today. The, uh, the program started in 2012, and we ran the program 14 times. Wow. And so we've had about 208 students come from overseas on the program. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, We've also had about 600 student volunteers from oh. uh, not just universities and uh, not just Fukushima University, but universities uh, throughout the prefecture join mm. the program as well. So it's been a huge success. Yeah, and um, we we go everywhere. We we start off in the Nakadori area, which is like the mm-hmm. central area of Fukushima. We start in Fukushima City, where we learn about radiation, mm-hmm. or radiation safety, about the, the negative, I guess, media coverage, what it was like back in the day. Yeah. And then we actually go to the coastal areas. Um, we go to communities that have recovered. We go to communities that are still recovering. We also go into communities that are still, that are still under full evacuation yeah. as well. Uh, we also go to the, the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Yep. We do a tour there. And I also make sure that we do a lot of volunteer work in the communities as well mm-hmm. uh, to help out with the revitalization projects that are ongoing there, just so they get a, I, students get an idea of what kind of challenges Fukushima still faces today. Yeah. I how rem- they could be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was working in Ritsumekan University and we brought students over to your university, um, particularly for our students who are in Kyoto, they were surprised that Fukushima was like this beautiful, like, you know, 
food is delicious. The people are so nice. Do you have any, some, some of that kind of feedback that you get from your students? Oh yeah, the students uh, they they uh, they leave like as if uh, you know Fukushima is a second home to them. They really really fall in love with this place, and yeah. that that's what I try to convey. That this place is just an amazing place. It's an incredible place, mm-hmm. not just because of um uh you know the it's a uh, response to the March 11 disasters and the resilience it's shown, and and mm-hmm. you know the amazing inspiration you get from that. But like you said, it's a beautiful place, and it's got really everything mm. i think a foreign student would want in japan yeah. you know the scenery the culture the food yeah. the food especially and just really really uh, kind-hearted students and local residents that are willing to you know let them into their homes and let right. them into their lives yeah so we we get students you know when they when they first sign up for the program a lot of them look forward to uh, i guess going to the nuclear power plants and yeah. a lot of them are sort of interested in you know seeing what an evacuated community looks like they like when i when I ask them before the program, what are they most, you know, what are they looking forward to? That's mm. the stuff they, they write. But when they leave and I ask them what left the biggest impression on them, they yeah. always say it was the residents and it was the people and just, you know, learning from them and, and uh, really yeah. emphasize, emphasizing with them and learning to emphasize with, with them um, and, and feeling as if they become part of Fukushima. Fukushima yeah. is a part of them. We, we've had students leave with tattoos of Fukushima on their arms. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. Akabeko? Yeah, Akabeko. Yeah, all the way. Akabeko, baby. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, all, all of them, really, I, every single one of them, I'm proud to say, has kept a, a strong connection with yeah, Fukushima. I keep good. in close touch with them. They're, um, they're always on uh, you know, social media promoting Fukushima, talking about Fukushima. Mm-hmm. And um, even recently, when the 10th anniversary mm-hmm. of the March 11 disasters were, I saw so, so many students uh, you know, posting just amazing things from the experience and the thoughts about Fukushima on their, their media. It was great. The reason why I got involved with a lot of the revitalization projects mm-hmm. was... Um, uh, thanks to actually a friend I had who was living in Soma City, Soma's on the coastal area. And it was an area that was absolutely devastated by the tsunamis, tsunami waves. And um, he actually messaged me uh, less than a week after the tsunami waves came. And he basically asked me to come visit him and see him because he, he'd actually lost his home due to the tsunami. And he also had lost a lot of friends and his whole entire community was washed away but he wanted me to come and see it and experience it and the reason why he wanted me to come was he wanted the world to see what was happening in fukushima and um and also you know he he, and and help him get the word out to the rest of the world so he basically invited me over and he asked me to bring as many people as i could with me to go visit him um and visit the soma city and um we went there and we were just absolutely blown away by what we saw. It's something I'll never forget, that those scenes. But then he started talking about how he was trying to restart his kindergarten there. He was a kindergarten teacher. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. And he wanted to restart his kindergarten and get all the kids who were living in gymnasiums back at kindergarten and get his life back to normal again, right? So, and and uh, he just started to be telling me that he, you know, about all, all these uh, ambitions that he had. And it made us realize that it, it was just so imp- inspiring to hear this from someone who just lost everything, right? And he was living in a gymnasium himself, but all he cared about were his kids and getting his community back on their feet. So we wanted to do something to to help him with this and and help him, you know, be be a part of this uh, this cause. So we started up a little group called the Hearts for Haragama, 
and uh, where we started, you know, collecting donations from around the world to donate to the kindergarten so we could restart it and help pay for the tuition of the kids. But we also started doing a lot of disaster recovery efforts where we go in and do cleanup work. We would do international events in disaster struck areas. And uh, yeah, it, it was just that that's pretty much how I got started in, um, in the revitalization work. And it really Tsukasa really helped me realize that the people in Fukushima wanted to get their stories out to the rest of the world. They yeah. wanted the world to know that Fukushima wasn't just about, you know, the nuclear disasters, but there was also a tsunami disaster and um, it was a combination of disasters. Yet the mm. people here were so resilient and they were all looking forward and they were to, to, the, to the future and uh, they hadn't given up any hope. Yeah. Maybe on that point, I want to add that um, what the Western media were seeing were still pictures of like, the tsunami or the earthquake mm -hmm. but present day when we were in fukushima like roads were already getting fixed you know yeah. gasoline stations were already open food was already coming into the supermarkets it was just two different news yes yeah, yeah mm -hmm. so much contrast in what was it actually being shown was, yeah. and what we were living and then it's a credit to tsukasa -san. um i remember um yeah he shared that story of like i just he he, he wanted to have like the sense of normalcy mm -hmm to return to the people he cared about and i think that's yeah. a beautiful story it really was yeah it's an inspiring story billy thank you for your time thank you for your no, insight and you have to hear you speaking on. no 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 <laughs> I, I, I you know obviously i have a lot to talk about on these I, topics, I could so. listen to your stories all day but it also brings up good memories of when i was there too right. have thank a good you. rest of the day and yeah, uh, the, yeah it was lovely talking to you yeah. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity Bane, thank you for joining me today and it's nice to catch up with you again. Oh, thank you for having me, Galileo. Yeah, so I think it's been about, what, seven, eight years since we last saw each other in person. So it's, yeah, fun, nice to kind of catch up on this like, special occasion. Yes, it is indeed. Thank you. So firstly, I wanted to ask you, Bane, was like, how long have you been living in Japan at that time? And where were you in Japan when the 3.11 happened? So I had been in Japan for about eight months. I started the JetBro program in August um, of 2010, and I was in um, Tomioka Machi, um, which is in Fukushima. Um, and just for our listeners, could you tell us how close Tomioka Machi is to either the, the power plant or even to the coast so they can get some you know, visual okay. idea? So yeah, thanks for that. So to the power plant, it's about seven kilometers. And by train, it's about an hour and a half um, away from um, Sendai, which is very close to Miyagi on the coast. And um, yeah, I was also living at Japan in Japan at the same time <laughs> on March 11. And I, I could just, I can't imagine like the trauma or the experience that you've had on that day. Um, obviously, feel free to share what you, you're comfortable with sharing. Um, but I wanted to ask, you know, what, what was that day like for you on March 11th? Okay, thanks. So March 11th, um, it was a Friday, and it was actually um, senior high school, third grade graduation. So the kids had their final ceremony and preparation for um, leaving junior high school into high school. and I remember it was it was winter, so it was a very um, cold day, and um, I remember sitting at my desk, and it was about probably about two fifty six because I remember looking at the time, and then all of a sudden, um, 
everything in the staff room started shaking. And I remember um, trying to close um, my filing cabinet um, at my desk and it just kept coming down. And so um, then we heard in the room where the printer and the um, photocopier was, things were falling down. So when a very big printer has fallen down, you know that it's not just a a little uh, earthquake or an aftershock. Um, So we were immediately um, had to evacuate um, to the school field. Um, And I remember trying to stand, but we we couldn't stand up properly. It's like when you're, um, for those of you who are familiar with um, Pacifica dancing, especially Hawaiian hula dancing, it's like I remember feeling like I was doing the hula, but I wasn't even trying it. It was the um, shaking underneath and my colleagues, um, the women, they were holding on to me so that they could balance. So um, yeah, we all kind of came together. And then um, once the earth had you know, stopped shaking, um, we actually heard, um, you know, the alarms and sirens going around. Then we got told that um, there was actually a tsunami warning. And I remember hearing like how strong the wind was it's just one of those sounds that you'll never forget I also um, remember going um, out onto the field and quickly um, opening my phone jumping on Facebook and just saying um, to my family and friends hey um, Japan's just had a really big earthquake Um, please pray for us and that was the last time I was actually able to um, go online for the next I think probably maybe close to 32 hours before I could actually log in again. Um, after, the, um, after we were told that there was a tsunami warning, um, our school actually became an evacuation centre. And because I was um, living on my own, um, I had to actually um, become one of the people that were looking after uh, people that were coming in. So... Um, at the time, I still had very, very basic Japanese. So I guess um, just, you know, looking after people and the um, it become, it's a universal language, just, you know, holding your hand out, hugging people when they come in, reassuring them that it's going to be okay. You don't actually have to speak the language, but it's just your body language, basically. There were a lot of um, old people that came and they they were very shaky. So just having blankets, putting it on them, um, trying our best to um, – we had no electricity um, and we had a lot of um, – what do you call it? Was it like oil burner heaters? Like really, we yeah. went really old school. The kerosene heaters. <laughs> yes, yeah, the kerosene heaters. Um, it kept it, um, everyone warm. Um, so our school gym became the evacuation centre I remember being in there for about a couple of hours and a family came in with um, some omiyage, which are treats that you usually share. I remember like a very small omiyage was shared between like five people. It was like a small cake. And I remember being full just from a little bite. So it's like little things like that that you'll never forget or take for granted. Like these people had never met me, but they wanted to share like what they had left of their food with me, like a foreigner that was completely new to um, their country and also to their town as well. Um, Yeah, so for the next couple of hours, um, we were just waiting to hear 
what was going on. So the tsunami didn't actually hit my side of town, which is Yonamori. I was actually on the hill, but it actually hit the coastal side, which is the old Tomioka town um, on the other side. Um, and then a few hours later, after all of that, the other uh, local English teachers in our town actually came and um, got me. And um, we all um, stuck together that night in um, Shelley's um, little Tomioka flat. We thought that it would be best to stick together. And um, none of us had any internet connection. And our um, local co- um, coasties in Iwaki were trying to get a hold of us because all our families on Facebook were trying to get a hold. Like they were posting on our pages, like trying to find out how we were. But Obviously, we couldn't get online. I think it wasn't until the following morning that someone actually got through to us um, by a phone call. And then we were able to tell them that, yes, we are okay. Could you please let our family know that we're okay? So that night, we had um, lots of aftershocks. And it wasn't until the morning um, we we heard um, more sirens going off and we actually heard the announcement um, that we were supposed to evacuate because there was um, the nuclear power plant leak. So we didn't actually know how serious the situation was at the time. We just thought, oh, yeah, we just have to leave for a couple of days and we will be okay. So we just pretty much got in Shelley's car. So there were four of us that got into the car, two New Zealanders, um, an American, and an Australian. We all got into the vehicle um, and just started driving um because yeah we our destination was Koryama which was the biggest city um on the opposite side like we weren't going towards the coast we were going heading in the other direction so um, yeah we and on our way here we just I had um like tuna and other things in my house and we just grabbed all of those we had grabbed it the night before I think so we had that thing and whatever Shelly had when we finally made it to a convenience store, they were completely out of food. The only food that they had, well, not really food, but all they had was alcohol. Everyone had grabbed the food. So, um, yeah, we kept driving. And then once we got to um, Koryama, we went to Nick. He's a, a Kiwi jet. We went to his place. And then we got told that we had to evacuate there as well. So, um, and in Koryama, I finally was able to log in um, to Facebook and let my family know that I was okay. I think I was able to call them for two minutes just to let them know that I was okay. We all were able to call our um, families. I remember um, how relieved they sounded on the phone. Like um, they were really, really worried. I just, we didn't realize how worried everyone was and we didn't realize how much coverage the media had and how serious the situation was because at the time to us, we because we were going through the whole thing, it was just a matter of like being together. And I think more than anything, because the Japanese people are so resilient and so strong, we didn't actually realize, whoa, this is like actually really, really huge. So at the time, um, after the day after the earthquake, it wasn't until um, I spoke to my family and realized how big the coverage of the Eastern um, Tohoku earthquake, tsunami, and also the power plant um, aftermath. I didn't realize how big it was until I spoke to them. And I realized that was because Japan, uh, Japanese people are resilient. 
they just keep going. They, their ability to bounce back like after something so big was just amazing. And not once did anybody complain. They just kept going and just helped um, each other. It was amazing. And I think seeing that firsthand has helped me, uh, like helped me then and is helping me now, like with everything that's going on. That's, at the moment. So you shared like an interesting story of how you were at the evacuation center and um, and people were you know sharing the omiyage with you so you could eat, maybe you know keep warm and just maybe keep relaxed and calm. I was wondering, like you know, ten years later, and you, you still remember that story. Um, whether what can you tell me and tell our listeners about the Japanese people who were going through such a big emergency at this time? So the Japanese people, they're they are very, very close, um, close knit community. I never ever saw or heard anyone um, complain about what they were going through. If anything, they were more worried about me. Um, they were worried that I was in a foreign country without my family, and they were always messaging or texting me, like. Or calling me to make sure that I was okay. I remember um, just before I left Japan, about four years after um, the earthquake, I remember catching up with a colleague that I had taught with in Tomioka and that um, I was with on the day of, of the disaster. And um, I actually found out that her brother had um, was actually one of the workers um, at the nuclear power plant. And I remember her calling me constantly um, the week after everything happened just to see how I was. And I kept us, I told her I was okay. And I kept asking, how are you going? How's your family? Not once did she tell me that her brother was one of the workers there. She was, that. that's just that they, they just kept going and it's not, you know, they won't share what they're going through because they're more concerned about everybody else because they, they are so resilient that it's just one of those things. They just have to keep going. I real I found out later that her brother had been working that whole time, and that he had actually um, become quite sick um, just from you know working and everything that he'd gone through, like all the stress involved with it as well. But rather than telling me about that, like because if that was me, I would have been like, oh well, my you know my family members go through this and that. But for them, and like for my friend, my colleague, it w- it wasn't a, they don't share that. They, they're just grateful because I asked her, I was like, why don't you tell me? Like, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, why did you not tell me? She said it was because she was just grateful. Their family was grateful that they were all alive. They were still breathing. Like, it matter. Like, their situation wasn't important because other people had lost their lives. So it's little like that that I am so grateful for that I got to experience it because, like, it just made it was just mind blowing. It really opened up my mind to a lot of things and changed my perspective on so many things. Fanny, thank you again for your insight um, and input of what you experienced during the three eleven earthquake disaster, and how you were able to experience on ground what it is to be you know alongside with Japanese people, um, helping each other and helping you. Um, those those stories are like great and wonderful. So thank you again for your time and um, I'll catch you next time. You're welcome, Kalalea. Arigatou gozaimashita. Arigatou gozaimashita. Bye-bye.
Okay, Gene, thanks for making your time to join me on the call today. Thanks for having me, Gal. It's good to see you. It's good to see you and good to speak with you. Yeah, but I think the last time I saw you, I can't even remember the last time I saw you. It's like we're 10 years younger and <laughs> 10 years younger things. So I guess that, that part of my life is a blur too. You got a lifetime ago, hey. Um, so yeah, Gene, I wanted to ask you, you know, the Fukushima earthquake nuclear disaster um, plant incident and the tsunami um, all affected our lives while we were living in Fukushima. Could you maybe share with our listeners, um, you know, what were you doing at, in Fukushima? What was this your first time in Japan? Um, what's your connection to Japan? Just maybe an, an insight of, of yeah, what brought you to Japan until that day. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so actually in uh, university, I'd studied uh, East Asian cultures. So, so just had a, I guess, natural interest in, um, you know, Korea, which is where my parents are from and the neighboring countries like Japan, China, um, that East Asia region. So in the final year of university, I actually studied abroad in uh, Tokyo at a school called the International Christian University. And I was there for about, it, it was for the, for the academic school year, basically. Um, and I graduated and, um, having studied East Asian cultures, I, I, I had a bit of trouble finding a job. So, <laughs> so, um, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I could go teach English somewhere, like, um, take kind of like a gap year as it were. And, um, I had enjoyed my time in Japan when I was studying abroad. So I, uh, naively applied to jet being like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go there. Just put me in Tokyo again. That'll be great. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I as everybody finds out, you end up in not Tokyo. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I got the letter saying, welcome to Fukushima. And I just thought, you know, whatever, cool. And, um, I'll, I'll go, I'll go check it out. Did, and it was, did you know <laughs> where Fukushima was when you, when you opened that letter? No, I, I had no idea. I, had to, <laughs> I actually, I actually messaged a buddy who, who I'd met stunning abroad. He's yeah. a Japanese guy. Yeah. I was like, dude, where's Fukushima? He's like, you mean Fukuoka? I was like, no, no, I, I think it says Fukushima. He's like, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> so, right. so that gave me a lot of comfort, you know, but, um, yeah, no. Um, so that was in 20, 2010. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, July. Yep. When I, when I first got there. And then, so it was about a year, almost a year since, um, you were living in, where, where in Fukushima were you living? Yeah. It's a place called Shinchimachi, which is, uh, out on the coast and it's like right right on the border of Fukushima and um Miyagi that rolls off your tongue like it was just like yesterday <laughs> oh I <yeah>, know man <laughs> good memories oh uh, dude it's no honestly good times good times yeah so Shinmachi was in the north eastern part of the prefecture kind yep. of close to um the coast but also not too far away from Miyagi the next like biggest city north of Fukushima yeah, that was actually the next, um, the next train station was in Miyagi. I, from what I remember, I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, right on the border there. So it was about what, 10, 11 months since you first arrived in Japan and now it's coming to March 11th. Can you share maybe your experience on what happened on that day briefly to our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, I mean... I think it was true for everybody uh, working 
in schools uh, on that day. It was a graduation. Um, so that we had had that ceremony, said you know, goodbye to all the students. And it was basically just the, the teachers at the school. I remember, I actually remember sitting there with nothing to do. Uh, in the staff room thinking, oh man, maybe I'll just go home early. Um, just that, that never happens on the jet program. Yeah, that never yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And honestly, thank goodness, because yeah. because what whatever it is that keeps us at the office, um, yeah. kept me at the office. And then, um, yeah, just when the earthquake hit, earthquake, um, you know, it was it was pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, I'm from California originally, so mm. had you know, I've had my share of earthquakes, but this was something was different about this one. I, I can't quite like put it into words, but, right. um, I, I felt like nervous almost. And then, um, uh, saw all my colleagues kind of just jumping under their, um, their, uh, tables there, except for the PE teacher, you know, like every school has that macho PE teacher. This dude was just kind of like, you know, oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And then he, he got under there too. And that's when I was like, oh yeah, oh, we're it's in real. trouble. Yeah, yeah. It's, real. it's on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so got under and, and it just, I was under there for what felt like eternity, man. Like mm. I, I thought the the world was just going to open up under me and, and just swallow, swallow everything up. Like yeah. it's crazy. Gene, yeah. You're living at like a very affected area. What was it like after that first day? Where were you living? What was your situation like? Yeah, it was pretty chaotic because um, it, it is on the coast. So not only did that town have to deal with have to deal with the um, earthquake, but they also had to deal with the um, obviously the tsunami, which came in, and yeah, everything just up and down the coast there just kind of got kind of got um, just washed away. So. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit. It was a bit hectic. I think a lot of the teachers were actually out and about, making sure all the students were safe. Um, a lot of the other just townspeople had had gathered at the school actually, because the school sits on top of a hill, um, which overlooks the coast. So I guess it was a, a safe zone. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was just. It was just chaos. Really, and I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I recall you sharing that you, you couldn't really stay at your house or your place at the time. So what were you doing during like that first couple of weeks? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So when I had first arrived, I was pretty stoked because uh, they put me up in this place that was like right on the coast. It's basically like a beach house, right? Yeah. Um, but obviously being that close to the, the water, it didn't fare very well. Um, with the tsunami, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was basically, basically I had no place to go after that. And, um, I had a colleague, um, Endo sensei, he was, mm-hmm. he was, uh, he was a PE teacher as well. And we, we, we had gotten quite tight and, uh, he, man, he just looked at me. He's like, Gene, you, you stay with me. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all right, man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he just, he basically like adopted me. He just yeah. took me to his place. Um, <laughs> I remember when we got there, um, he, he like points at the fridge. He's like, you know, basically like anything you want, like help yourself yeah. so open the fridge. And it's just tall boys, man. They just <laughs> filled with like a, a side beer. I was like, Endo, don't you eat food? He's like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's okay. He's living the dream. Yeah, dude. It was, it's pretty funny. But um, yeah, he, he took me in and um, 
he he let me stay there. He took me back to um, back to school every morning because yeah. we, you know, this school had become an evacuation center. So we went there and kind of did that work and then came back to his. It's interesting that other people I've spoken to is that they're, um, our colleagues are, they're very, they're out there to look for us too. You know, it seems like there's already a big problem of like they're dealing with the same thing for dealing with. Um, like scarcity of food, water, yeah. electricity was like bumpy aftershocks. Mm. But then you have these people who are just like, you know, sharing kindness, like the kindness is always on for them. Yeah. Could yeah. you maybe comment on, on that, on what you experienced with the Japanese people during this time? Yeah, that was, yeah, it was quite mind blowing. Cause, cause like you say, there was, there was just no access to um, your, your basic, kind of needs. Like I remember the, the gas stations, I think were, were rationing or, or saving for like, I think emergency vehicles yeah. only, uh, all the, obviously all the stores were closed. Um, we didn't have running water. Um, uh, there was no electricity for us for a while. Um, and I remember actually there was, there was another teacher that <laughs> was just, I was getting passed along, like, like passed around like this poor helpless like kid, which, which was true at the time. Uh, but, uh, another teacher took me in with his family and man, they, they took me in gave me a place to stay for the night and they just loaded me up on the way out. Like they had, they had like clothes from Uniqlo, which, which ha- they hadn't opened yet, I guess for maybe for their kids or for themselves, or maybe it was like a, for next season. But yeah, they, they gave me like a bunch of shirts. Yeah. Um, they gave me like a bunch of bottles of water, uh, like it, and like you said, it's crazy because they, it's not like they have a store to go to, to, to stock up again. So, yeah. um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was something I'll just never forget. And, and again, just endo as well. Just yeah. <laughs> his, his dad came in from another, I think part of the prefecture and he was wearing this big, you know, cause I don't know if you remember, but it was pretty cold, right? It was like, cold. Uh, it was like still was, like early March, mid March and it was still snowing. Yeah, that's right. I think some people captured like footage of things happening. It was snowing in the background and stuff. But Endo's dad shut up in a big puffer jacket and he opens it up and he had like four cartons of cigarettes in there. We're like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, take as many as you need. And, um, you know, that's, that's all. Yeah, it was just, it was just mind blowing how, how giving and how, how caring um, people were, were for, for somebody who, who they had just met, you know, like. Right few months prior and meeting people for the first time too and they're just so openly willing to help out yeah, it's it's nuts and, and i'm sure you experienced like similar things in uh koreyama yeah i was in koreyama and also in the small town ishikawamachi before moving yeah, to that's koreyama right. that's right um and then yeah maybe if we could wrap up on one more thing gene um wanted to know uh, anything you went through um ups and downs you know, you know, in the earth, left, like, right. left yeah. and right, all, all around. Uh, what can you say about the experience of living in Japan, uh, living in Fukushima and experiencing what you did? Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty deep question, but, uh, I think, I think living in Japan, um, uh, was, was amazing. And, and I would, I would recommend everybody to, go out there and give it a shot. I, I haven't met anyone yet who, who has done something like this, whether it's study abroad for an extended period of time or, or do something like the jet program. I haven't really met 
anyone who, who comes out of that saying like, you know, most terrible experience of my life, I'll never do it again. I think everyone has this somehow, this is very similar experience of just meeting very, very kind people, very nice people. And, um, I, yeah, my, my experience was no exception. Um, I think, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, I think it really, it really shaped who I am as well. The experience. I mean, I was only there for about three years, but uh, I think I think I picked up a lot subconsciously as well. Um, you know, whether that's just just trying to be more empathetic or or just you know not always thinking about myself, which I think is just human nature, um, and just trying to um, yeah keep keep others in mind. And, and I do think that that was influenced by my time in in Japan, uh, particularly during that time. Uh, during or right before, during, and, and after, after the earthquake. Um, and, and yeah, I, th- I think obviously I would have loved to have not experienced that. Mm-hmm. I think I would have loved for nobody to have experienced that, but, right. um, um, having had, you know, having been through that, I think, I think it was, you know, the silver lining there was just, just seeing how much, uh, that brought people together and, and how like, you know, we talk about like when people, when things bottom out for people, that's, that's when you see who they really are. And, and lots of the time it's, it could be pretty ugly, but, uh, mm-hmm. but man, uh, and Shinchi anyway, it was, it was all, all hands on deck. Everybody was just doing what they needed to do for, for the, you know, for, for everybody around them. So yeah, I, I think, um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I, it's good. It was good. It, it was terrible. A uh, terrible, obviously, but it, it was. Uh, it was really good to see that side of uh, humanity. Yeah. I suppose. I want to maybe wrap up on this um, quote from your essay, <laughs> if you don't mind. You wrote, <laughs> "They tell us when we sign up for the jet program that it's a life-changing experience." I truly believe in these words. However, there is one thing we should all keep in mind. We should all strive to continue paying it forward to the wonderful and caring things the Japanese people have done. It definitely changed and saved my life. Gene, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your insights and thank you for sharing your experience. Hey, thanks for having me here, Gal. It's really good seeing you again. Okay, John, thanks for joining the call. It's good to be speaking to you again. No, no problem. Yeah, just mine. Can you just let our listeners know where you were living at the time when the earthquake happened? Yeah, so um, on the day of the earthquake, um, I was living in um, Iwaki, a coastal town in Fukushima. Um, it's about uh, what sixty odd kilometers from the power plants. Iwaki, yeah, it's a coastal town. Um, it's pretty spread out. Um, population is no more than what three hundred, four hundred thousand people. Um, yeah, at at the time, we had like a pretty um. In terms of the coast part, um, it was um, it had a pretty stable uh, marine um, industry um, for fishermen and also for um, trade. Um, it served as a hub for um, f- uh, for cities up the coast, um, all the way up to Sendai in um, Miyagi, the prefecture up north, and yeah, it served as just like a kind of like a gateway between um, the tip of Kanto, which is a big area, and then um, th- or the um, further northern regions that is known as Tohoku in Japan. Um, yeah, it's just a nice place. Not too big, not too small. 
what were you doing at the time the earthquake happened? Um, yeah, so when the earthquake hit, I was, it was 2.46 in the afternoon. It was a Friday and I was at work. So um, I at the time, I was working at a kindergarten in um, Iwaki and I was just cleaning my classroom. And yeah, school had just gone out. So the kids were getting ready to get on the buses or waiting for their parents to pick them up. And I was just cleaning my classroom, getting ready for my afternoon classes when the earthquake hit. Uh, what was your immediate like reaction or thoughts when that happened? Um, at that time, I thought um, it was a big earthquake, and, but I didn't realize, I didn't think at all that it was like, it was anywhere, the, at least the epicenter was anywhere near where I was. Um, I, I thought that it was um, the big earthquake that was. Um, that it was. I thought it was a big earthquake that hit probably around Tokyo because um, they always said that um, Tokyo and that region of Kanto is always due for a big earthquake. So I thought that, yep, this is a big earthquake that's hit in Tokyo. And crap, all my friends, all the all the people I know in Tokyo, um, they're gonna you know cop it now. But it turns out like everyone else that was in Tokyo was worried about me because they knew that, um, yeah, I was in the area that the big earthquake was hitting. So John, um, I guess, you know, for us, we were both from Australia and we don't yeah. even experience earthquakes that much or even like the thought of tsunamis coming in. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about that experience? Um, yeah, like you said, um, um, coming from Australia, we have no concept of earthquakes or tsunamis. And then uh, the first place I lived in was, like I said, in Aizuakamatsu. They had some um, earthquakes, but not that much because it's further inland. So coming to the coast and then getting this big earthquake, it was just, it seemed like something was happening. I mean, if you believe in God and stuff like that, it seems like, you know, that's my progressive plan <laughs> towards danger. But um, no, yeah, it just, uh, initial reaction was that it was just one endless earthquake and it just wouldn't give. Um, I mean, it went for a minute, two minutes or longer, but it's just long. And then the um, aftershocks came like pretty um, sudden and pretty constant as well. Okay. So John wanted to ask you about um, maybe, you know, you were still staying in Iwaki like yep. during the earthquake and after the earthquake yep. and the tsunami happened and like the nuclear power plant um, had an, an accident. Yeah. Um, would you be able to share any stories of what was happening in your local town during the time or some of the Japanese people that you knew living in the well, city? Fortunately, Iwaki wasn't that um, compared to, you know, all the other places that um, had tsunami damage. Um, fortunately, um, the area I was living in was not, um, didn't receive as much damage as it could have. Um, and then the people that I uh, I knew or I worked with, um, no one really suffered that much damage. I only knew one person that um, had their house um, just damaged by the earthquakes. But yeah, everyone I knew was um, good. Um, where I was living, um, I the, the water was stopped, so I didn't have running water in my house, and, but I had um, electricity and gas. So that was that was good. Um, at least I could function. And in the city, they um, had the public um, pipes um, going, so you could go collect water. And 
it was at one of those um, places um, when I was waiting to collect water that um, I experienced something that um, really um, would stay to me like for the rest of my life. Um, so we were lining up for water. Um, everyone's, you know, had their like bottles or jugs or buckets. And I was lining up for maybe two or three hours. And there was this grandma. Um, she was by herself. And um, she was just lining up in front of me, um, you know, I didn't pay attention to her. She didn't pay attention to me. And she suddenly turned around to me and my friend I was lining up with and she offered us um, these snacks. Um, it was just like cookies or um, green tea biscuits. And she apologized to us that she didn't have enough water to share with us. But she offered these um, these snacks that she had. And I was thinking like, you, didn't, you don't need to share these snacks with us. Like there's, I mean, like, at that time, we didn't know how much food or how much food was going to be available. So just keep it to yourself. Um, but then, like, yeah, she was generous generous enough to consider that these strangers would need these 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 snacks as much as I did. Um, and then she also was gracious enough to apologize for not having water to share, which was like, it's okay. You know, it's your water. You don't have to share with us. That's fine. Um and on the way back, uh, we both collected our water and I offered to take her, carry her water back to her place. And she reacted like I offered to move a mountain for her. Um, she was that touch. She's like, no, no, you don't have to do it. But it's like, you just offered us snacks and you didn't have to do it as well. Um, so it was just like those random acts of like kindness. It just like, mm -hmm. did it really help my predicament? Of course not. But it's just like, it's just one of those things that makes you put things into perspective and um, yeah, just allows you to carry on as much as um, as bleak as things were. Um, but there was another thing, I, I, another experience I, I have, if, if I could share that with you. Um, so uh, like probably like four or five days later, um, I went to stay at my friend's house Um we used to work together, um, but he moved back to with his family. So we went to stay at his house just to, you know, pile of resources. And also um, as a foreigner uh, who's not really able to, you know, process and settle on the news or whatever, it was just, I just felt safer to stay with my friend um, and his family. Um, so when I got there, um, the first thing was after five days, I had my first hot shower and it was amazing. <laughs> so I'll never forget that. Um, but the second thing was um, his grandparents. His he was living. His, his grandparents were um, living with him, and I had my first hot meal after five days, uh, and that was also amazing. But the the thing that I always remember was um, his grandparents asked me, a stranger that they just met for the first time, they just asked me, "Do you have enough to eat?" And throughout my stay, that that was their main concern that if I had enough to eat and I was thinking these um, elderly folks, they had seen the second world war. They experienced, uh, I don't know what degree, but they were, in, they were born and they were um, at least experienced to a certain degree, the nuclear bombing of the home country. And now they experienced this disaster of a really um, enormous scale, but yet their main concern at the time was, do you have enough to eat? So it put it, it put things in perspective again. Um, they're like, you know, they've experienced so much, but yet they're worried about me. So really, do I have that much to worry about? Should I just like, you know, worry about 
the daily things rather than like the grand scale things of like the news or maybe the hype in the news, that kind of thing. And just, you know, just like um, think things more clearly than just like thinking, oh my gosh, like the sky is falling down, this acid rain, we're all going to die kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting because I obviously felt the same thing. And what I, I like got from it was that everyone knows that they're in this situation. So just like yep. help each other out. And just yeah. try to give, I guess this isn't my words, but, you know, to give positive vibes to other people and make <laughs> them just get through it together. Yeah. Um, just one last thing is that Johnny pointed it out, is that when you were in Iwaki, that you weren't, your house was safe, even though you didn't have like running water or whatever, but like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't destroyed. It wasn't like wiped out. Um, do you think that this type of image that Fukushima became a wasteland or what, what can you make a comment on that? Um, I mean, definitely, like, obviously, um, if you look into it, there are places of Fukushima that were an exclusion zone, so near the power plant. So a lot of people couldn't go back to their homes or businesses for a long time. But that was just around the power plant. So, um, 20 odd kilometers of a circum a radius around the power plant. But for the rest of Fukushima, it was, um, fine. Um, and I mean, as much as you could say business as usual, um, things started return um, to normal or close to normal as, uh, as soon as possible. Um, and a lot of the domestic um, community and support um, came through very quickly in terms of actual donations, aids, or just promotion awareness. I mean, like um, one of the biggest groups in Japan, um, boy bands, uh, Tokyo, they had, to this day, they still promote um, Fukushima produce um, to highlight that, you know, Fukushima produce is good, as good as before. And, you know, it, there's no problems with it. Um, for my day-to-day -day life, it was just, um, yeah, I could, you know, access uh, regular things that like, you know, going shopping or um, just going back to work, things like that. It was just um, normal. Um, and once my water was restored and I was able to clean up my house and life was pretty much um, as it was. John, thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing your insights and experiences during the Fukushima um, 3.11. No, not a problem. And yeah, um, always Fukushima. Justin, thanks for making time to speak with me today. Not a problem, Galileo. Thank you. Yeah, so I just wanted to um, talk to you because you were living in Japan, um, in Fukushima at the time of the 3.11 earthquake. Could you let our listeners know, you know where were you living uh, how long have you lived in Japan and what, what's your connection to Japan? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So first of all, uh, by the time the disaster had come around in 2011, I'd been there for around about six years, uh, starting from 2005. Uh, previous to that, I had lived in Japan uh, for a year in university, a year in high school. Uh, so I was fairly, fairly comfortable in Japan. Like uh, uh, I lived in Japan as if I was as much as I could, as if I was a local. Uh, when I'm in Australia, I'm in a bit of a different mode where I'm a local here. So it feels like I've got a, <clears throat> a foot in both doors, as it were. Um, so when uh, when the disaster initially happened, uh, it was in the afternoon. I'd been working at a, a local school for a few years as a permanent teacher there in Koryama City. Uh, keeping in mind, Koryama City is about 50 or so kilometres away from the coastline in 
Fukushima uh, and the nuclear power station where uh, where the main parts of the disaster happened. Um, so uh, what basically happened was uh, we had a graduation ceremony for students graduating that year. Uh, most of the students had left our school uh, at some point after lunch uh, in the afternoon. Uh, so we just uh, had a bit of a get together with the, the staff uh, and we were starting to have a bit of a casual lunch together in the staff room uh, at some point in the afternoon. Just bearing in mind my, my time frames and memories of the sequence of events at the time were a little bit uh, a little bit kind of confused, um, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. Um, so what I remember happening was uh, we'd just finished off having a lunch uh, with the staff uh, in the staff room on our first, uh, on the ground floor as it were, uh, and then all of a sudden alarms started blaring uh, through people's phones, uh, through a system in the, the ceiling, I believe, which was a bit of a school alert system. Uh, <clears throat> at first, everyone was looking around in confusion. Uh, I believe the initial confusion and uh, the fact that we didn't react immediately to what was going on was that we'd never had a, an alert of that magnitude before. Usually, the alert system goes off at a certain threshold, so uh, so we weren't quite sure what was happening at first until the wall started rumbling in the in the staff room itself, uh, and that just started to pick up pace until the until it was getting uh, extremely loud uh, and uh, basically just a, a swaying of everything, and uh, things started to fall over or topple down off desks. Um, so at that point, uh, we all up and fled out of the staff room door directly onto the sports field. Um, and the earthquake at that point was picking up a lot of pace. Uh, the ground underneath was kind of shifting and rolling underneath us, or that's at least how it felt anyway, and people were stumbling or falling over trying to get out to the central point of the sports field. Um, by the time we were all assembled in the middle, uh, we were hit by a bit of a uh, bit of a flurry of snow and uh, cold wind. Um, by that point, uh, we could see the the sky going a bit yellow all around us. Uh, sirens going off through the entire city, uh, and just the the smell was like of a, a burning tire uh, smell. Um, at that point, there were students still left on the third floor, and we were yelling at them to quickly get out of the building. Uh, fortunately, they ended, up, they ended up joining us. Um, the initial, uh, the initial as assembly of everybody, uh, you know, staff and students, huddled under blankets. Uh, the, the phone systems were going down. Uh, I had Skype on my phone at the time, which was uh, just something that I'd I'd had that not many other staff at the time had on their smartphones. So uh, I was able to hand that around after getting a call back to my family in Australia just to say that I was safe. Uh, so people were able to get a few messages uh, through my phone, through Skype. Uh, the internet was still working by that point. Uh, it was a little bit patchy, but uh, yeah, um, people, staff, colleagues were able to get their messages out. Um, yeah, then my, my immediate memory was uh, that we had a, a bit of an on-the-run meeting with our principal who told us uh, to just get home, uh, look after friends and family uh, and do a bit of clean-up and we'd reconvene the next day uh, for a bit of a uh, school clean-up uh, as a volunteer effort. So, um, yeah, are there any questions? That yeah, Justin, I totally agree. That day was such a blur 
that hour, I can't even remember. I, I know it was um, the graduation for junior high school in Fukushima at the time. Um, and at the time of the earthquake, it was 2.46. Um, so, you know, we were just finishing up a calendar, an academic year for junior high school. We sent them off, um, relaxing, maybe looking forward to the spring vacation. And then it happened. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about something you said that Koryama is about yeah. 50 kilometers away from, from the coastal lines. And looking up on the internet right now, it's about 100 kilometers away from the nuclear power plants. Um, so I just wanted to confirm with you was that were there any uh, like tsunami damage or what type of damages did Koryama have had at the time? Yeah, sure. Um, so Koryama uh, was relatively, you know, I, I use relatively in uh, air quotes, uh, relatively unscathed uh, insofar as uh, definitely tsunami damage. It was too far inland by about 40 kilometres uh, for the effects of the tsunami. Uh, as far as initial radiation levels were concerned, uh, by the time of the explosion, uh, it was my understanding that uh, that a lot of the radiation was being carried out to sea with uh, you know leftover winter winds, which were going in an easterly direction, which was the opposite from Koryama. Uh, so. Um, I just made sure that the, the information I was getting was a combination of local uh, local news or information um, and a bit more level-headed uh, media from from my own country. Like, for example, uh, when I when I was talking with my parents back home, um, I reassured them that you know, despite the fact that Koryama had a fair bit of damage to buildings, some some collapses uh, here and there. Um, not to not to downplay them by any means. Uh, it was was still was still a terrifying experience, having borne the brunt of a lot of that earthquake activity. Um, that we were relatively well off. My my parents were informed by mainstream media in Australia, like. Uh, ABC, which gave kind of level-headed reporting, nothing, nothing too sensationalised, and I was, uh, I was in a bit of a similar mindset. So, uh, I, I did what I needed to do. I took adequate precautions and just sensible ones, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, just, just went about. Uh, doing my best uh, to kind of help people in the area with a bit of volunteer work, even on the coastline. Uh, after, uh, about a week or so, week and a half, maybe after the initial disaster. Um, yeah, so I was under no illusions that there was potential for uh, for ex from major damage. Uh, you know, the the extent of the the nuclear disaster wasn't really known at the time. Um, so there was a bit of hysteria, but also uh, yeah, there was a bit of unknown uh, quantities about uh, just just exactly how far the extent of the damage was. So um, where I was in, where I was in Koryama, it was a bit of more of a fortunate location, being a bit further away from the epicenters, or, or not the uh, earthquake epicenters, but the the nuclear disaster epicenter that was. Yeah, totally agree with everything that you said there. That um, we had. Like Western, like international news coming in. We had local news and national news. Um, I wanted to ask, what's your assessment of like the information that we were getting? Um, like, was it accurate? Sources, or what was your like go-to 
to make you feel like at least peace of mind during that time? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off for a bit that uh, I, I was at first purely watching uh, Japanese media and interviews by experts on uh, panels, for example. Uh, and the, the one thing that kind of got my got my attention up initially was the the use of double negatives by experts saying uh, <laughs> along the lines of uh, unsureness about the extent of the uh, damage to the nuclear power stations. Um, so that that was a little bit of a, an alert in my mind that all may not be what it seemed. Um, but at the same time, I, I didn't jump to uh, certain sources of media which were you know, kind of pushing the line that uh, all of East Asia might be irradiated uh, beyond <laughs> beyond repair, for example. So um, I, I took a bit of a middle line where um, I, I just made sure that uh, I, I had access to more mid, uh, uh, how would you say, middle of the road sources. Um, and, and I could actually, I could actually see myself uh, in Koryama. I was helping uh, staff members like the deputy uh, principal and the science teacher uh, to measure the, uh, the, the surrounding school, school area uh, with uh, handheld Geiger counters to take daily measurements about how long students should be outside uh, doing uh, physical activity for. So that, that was more of a peace of mind. And I, I got to borrow one of the uh, Geiger counters, uh, a spare one, and uh, take it around my local area um, in kind of, you know, uh, measuring inside my house compared to outside my house. Um, there wasn't much of a difference. It was all fairly low background or just slightly above background level radiation. Um, and yeah, like the, the only times, uh, you know, the the uh, the meter went off beeping uh, just to just to take uh, precautions. For example, uh, if I if I held the uh, the meter near puddles of accumulated water from rain, for example. So um, even then, there wasn't there wasn't much of a danger uh, from a from a data point of view. So Justin, uh, maybe let's finish up with this last question. Was that you you talked about volunteering, helping out with cleaning? Um, I guess that lots of things were going on at the same time in uh, Fukushima and Koryama. Um, could yeah. you give our listeners uh, maybe an idea of some of the, the activities that you're participating in um, and also maybe an observation of how people were coping through the time? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll start with your last question first, um, just because my brain works in reverse order than most people for some reason. Um, the the attitude of the people on the coastline where I went to help out, uh, both with local volunteer groups uh, and with co-workers from Koryama, uh, from the from the uh, the pool of foreign teachers I worked with across the city, um, the local attitude was uh, actually really quite lively and collegial. Uh, people. Uh, even though they'd suffered great losses with uh, loss of life and property, um, even the the elderly people in the area were in, were in fairly good spirits. Uh, I, I helped out with uh, removing debris uh, and well, just uh, yeah, debris and swept in and out of rubbish from people's houses, especially elderly people. Uh, and uh, and we had meals together uh, 
during the day on and off and uh, and and I found those to be fairly upbeat positive experiences um, despite what people had lost uh, both in terms of uh, you know property loss and loss of lives of families and uh, friends that they they knew in the area so as uh, I was going across uh, through the week sometimes taking uh, time off uh, uh, my duties as a teacher at the time uh, on, on reasonably quiet days uh, to, to drive across with co colleagues and uh, uh, to team up with local uh, charity groups or volunteer groups uh, to, to do cleaning. Um, and uh, just, I, I'm just trying to think back to the, to the scene that it was. It was absolutely, uh, absolute devastation on the coastline. Um, so, you know, it was uh, it was a very eye-opening experience, and kind of made me uh, realise how fortunate we were inland. Um, that uh, you know, we we didn't suffer the the same amount of damage. Um, but it was a it was a really uh, it was a really uh, how would I say um, beneficial thing um, to go over uh, and you know to to put some put some of our uh, resources to use to uh, to help people who were. Uh, who were waiting on official help at the time. Uh, so, um, like like I said, uh, we'd uh, we'd drive around to, to uh, clusters of community uh, buildings uh, at a time and just ask where where people needed assistance, and we'd be led to people's houses, um, which were, you know, sometimes full of, uh, in, um, you know. Uh, centimeters high mud and uh, you know assorted assorted debris from even other people's houses that had washed in. Um, yeah, but but I did find overall that experience, the experience, even though it was extremely shocking uh, and heart wrenching, it was also you know it was a very uh, a very human spirit uh, over on the coastline. Justin, thank you for your time today. Not a problem, Galileo. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.